0: and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. This is episode nine of series two. We're so close to the end of this series now which is a real shame but Chris we are cooking up plans for the next series already aren't we?
1: We are and I'm super excited George. Uh, you know we actually question for you how many meetings have we ever had about this podcast? Uh, maybe two. So the original one when we thought should we do a podcast
0: and then the one when yeah. shall we do it again? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think that's about as far as it's gone. So what happened today? Well, we actually did have a meeting.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> this usually means it's it's either dangerous or seriously exciting. Uh, and this meeting was not about season three, which would be your first thought for our third meeting. Uh, it was about something far more, uh, I suppose, interactive than that. Uh, and we're going to come back to that shortly because it involves you, our listeners, uh, really looking forward to discussing that.
0: Yes, more on that story later. But first of all, Chris, um, who's our guest today?
1: Well, this is the very aptly titled Not an Influencer episode, which is my favourite title for, a, for for an episode yet. Um, and <laughs> our, our guest today uh, has 70,000 followers on Instagram but she's not an influencer. Uh, She appeared on TV alongside the likes of Piers Morgan and Jodie Marsh, promoting and sometimes defending shooting and hunting in some hostile environments. She's the author of her own successful game cookbook called Game and Gatherings, and she's a seriously accurate shot as well. It's Rachel Carey.
2: Hi. (laughs) I don't know who you just described, but I'm standing in for that person. (laughs) Welcome
0: along, Rachel. It's great to have you with us.
2: Hi, thank you.
0: So, not an influencer. Can you
2: explain? (laughs) Um, Yeah, Chris didn't have a name for the podcast. That's basically it. (laughs) Nothing more to it. Nothing to see here move along.
0: (laughs) Okay, um, we'll gloss over that then, shall we? Go straight on to, um, what's that you're drinking, Rachel? What have you got?
2: I have a margarita. So it's not actually a margarita. It's a cheat margarita. I am a big fan of tequila. I don't really drink a lot, believe it or not.
1: Until until 4pm on a Wednesday?
2: No. I, I have this really strange um, thing about alcohol and drinking. And I'm not judging anyone. You know, um, everyone in my family likes to drink nice wine. You know, they're really into the nice reds. and I just don't... Um, have that relationship with alcohol I basically if I drink I drink to get drunk
1: <laughs> <laughs> rolling, rolling <back> the <laughs> I'm just
2: gonna I'm just gonna yeah I'm just gonna be as blunt as that about it so when you invited me to do this podcast and said oh you know um, you should listen to some of the podcasts and and I do listen to your podcast by the way oh, that's very good um,
0: flattery gets you everywhere <laughs>
2: yes yes and uh, you know you, you hear people come on and it's the nice reds and you know the 70 year old whiskey and aged in, you know, barrels found in the bottom of the Aegean Sea C and 18, <laughs> whatever. And uh, here I am with my tequila.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, at the end of the last episode, I was definitely a bit pissed. I got a bit carried away. So that would have been absolutely fine if you'd come on and got hammered. That would have been no problem at all.
2: My choice of alcohol is basically none more than reflective of my ethos of alcohol. And that's, um, I, I drink to get merry. So I drink tequila because of course, as everyone knows, tequila makes you happy. So that's my tipple tune.
1: We could probably, in, we could probably <laughs> intro that bit of music right at the start of the pod. and um,
0: perhaps it should be our new, <laughs> new theme tune. Well, we'll
1: come, we'll come back to that. Cause <laughs> it's definitely better than the suggestions we've had. So I, I'm, I'm all up for that. Um, I'm, um, I'm on my wild tour of Kent drinks. Uh I I was drinking a beer last time. Uh and I have a cider called Wild Disco Cider, uh which I think is an awesome name. <laughs> <laughs> um it's handcrafted at Gibbet Oak Farm uh by the, Nighting- the Nightingale Cider Company uh intended in Kent so literally just up the road from the beer I had the other week and I must say I've never had this before and it's epic I really like it um but I've also got one of the other ones next to me because I I've learned from my rookie mistakes in series one that having one drink is not acceptable on a podcast so um yeah no, I'm all tooled up with some lovely ciders very nice
2: I should I, I should add I feel like I should add that um, I I didn't realise you had to actually explain. I was trying to brush past the fact that I drink tequila. Um, (laughs) Mine's actually the George Clooney Casamigos tequila. It's a really, really nice, smooth tequila. Ooh, this is my wow. personal favorite. So, See, I'm not just a savage. But there's you there's you
1: there's you having a go at people's people's whiskies and we've got a George Clooney tequila. I mean, talk about being fancy.
2: <laughs> that's quite
0: that's quite an interesting story behind that company, isn't it? Because I think they created the company, started making tequila just for a bit of fun, and then they accidentally made like a billion dollar company. They sold it for a huge amount of money.
2: Yes. And they did it just off the back of two guys saying Hey we like drinking tequila in the afternoon. I think we need something a little bit smoother so it's a great great reason to start a company. A margarita's
1: yeah. a good way of having it though cuz I can't stand tequila unless it's in a
0: margarita. I could just see you with a margarita, Chris. <laughs> Why is that, George? <laughs> I'm not going to elaborate.
2: <laughs> Ex- explain yourself.
0: <laughs> no, not going <laughs> to. It's
2: it's a gent it's it, it is a gender neutral margarita I might add.
1: I must say, I've never made one. I wouldn't even know where to start. I, they, uh, if if I have one, it's because someone else made it for me. So beggars can't be cheeses, you know.
2: So I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give the listeners and yourself a little tip on this. So I'm I'm not some kind of home cocktail mixologist. I'm the same. I can't be bothered with the fact. So really great margarita hack. Um, Marks and Spencer's sell a um, kind of a fruity cordial. It's called Mexican Lime. And... If you squeeze of lime, fill your glass with that. Of course, you need a salt rim. Um, it tastes just like a margarita from a bar. So Amazing. Marks and Spencer's Mexican Lime Cordial, margarita hack.
1: That's a proper hack. I like that. <laughs> Indeed, good good for a train. Mm. Yeah, I, as in I don't know. I always find that I'm buying cheap booze from M&S, especially the old G&Ts in a can before a train journey. So I'll uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll go for that go for that route next time. <laughs> George, what are you drinking?
0: Well, I got a bit of, had a bit of a saga at lunchtime today when I suddenly realized I needed to get a drink. Uh, and I've mentioned the the shop on uh, on the high street near me called Hot Burns and Black that uh, sells beer and hot sauce. So I thought, I'll nip up there and get an interesting beer and that'll be fine. And I got there. I was actually on the phone to Chris at the time and it was closed. It didn't open till two o'clock and I was an hour early. But the beer that I would hope to get was one that's actually brewed in Deptford, just across the high street under the railway arches. So I thought, I'll tell you what, I'll just nip down there and see if they're in. And I was sort of standing outside, looking through the window, trying to see if there's anybody inside. And the bloke who runs the place came up behind me, said, can I help? And I said, yeah, well, I hope you can. Can you sell me some beer? And, uh, I just need, you know, six cans of this and six cans of the other one. And he's like, let me just go and see if I can find our card machine. And he came back out a couple of minutes later and said, I can't find the card machine, but I'll tell you what, come down to the storeroom with me. I'll give you what you want. And when we're back open again in April, you can come down and pay me. So I walked away with 12 cans of beer, so I've got to give an absolutely massive shout out to the villages brewery in Deptford for really getting me out of quite a sticky hole. <laughs> um, so I've got uh, to begin with, I've got their pale ale, which is called Rodeo, and uh, then to follow it up, I've got the uh, whistle lager. Um, so that's it's literally brewed on Deptford High Street, which is about a five minute walk from my front door. So it's about as local a beer as it's possible to get. Uh, and they're really, really nice. So yeah, that's, that's, that's me.
1: That's nice. really good of them. Yeah, amazing. That's so good. And I, I was thinking um, I was thinking about when, uh, when we actually start recording these things, uh, when we're not working from home uh, and we're actually face-to-face, we're going to have to think about locations, about where we record them. And the Beehive is our classic local near our office in Vauxhall on the way to the Oval Cricket Ground, for those of you who have been to the test there uh but to be honest that brewery they've just called themselves up big time for a live recording of the podcast at their place it
0: sounds like well yeah i mean that might not be the best acoustics because it is a railway arch with a couple of big you know stainless steel brewing tanks in it but um yeah it could be quite good fair enough (laughs) right We've all got a drink which means it's time Rachel to put you to work with the section called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? This is where we send uh, ask our listeners to send us in their shooting related quandaries and queries and dilemmas and we are going to try and resolve the 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 dilemma. So this one comes from somebody I have decided to call Igor. Uh, he writes, "I am reasonably new to the field sports world. I've always been interested in it and dipped in a toe occasionally." but never really had the chance to get into it properly until a couple of years ago when my uncle invited me as a guest. The following season, I joined a local syndicate. It's a basic beat one, shoot one, which is a great way to start learning all the ins and outs. So thanks very much for your podcast as I've taken something away from every episode so far. Please keep it going. So on to the dilemma. This year, my fiance Ivana and I got ourselves a Labrador. Luckily, before the dog market went wild. I took this as a chance to jump two-footed into the field sports world. I've always wanted to train and work a dog and didn't want to be that one with the badly behaved dog on a shoot day. I've been doing loads of reading and research on the best training methods and so on over the past 10 months. Basic obedience was good as it's simple and my fiancé and I could both work together getting the basics nailed. Now we are getting to the more tricky training elements and the reading and the research and the videos are all paying off. The dilemma is that Ivana sometimes goes a bit rogue with her handling on the walks using, a, using different variations on the commands and so forth. It will be me that works the dog 99% of the time, but she needs to listen to the commands, whether it be a day-to-day walk or outworking. Now, do I keep going letting Ivana have her occasional rogue moments on walks and just work extra hard on emphasising the commands to the dog when I'm doing formal training? or tell ivana that she should be doing it slightly differently so we're super consistent with commands at the moment i'm picking and choosing my battles and slowly winning her round to keep consistency in the training but not every battle is won and there's sometimes an awkward walk back from the field wondering if you guys would be doing the same so uh, <clears throat> i don't know you you have a dog do you not rachel
2: i do i have um Chihuahua, just keeping in with the Mexicans being there, and uh, a, a French bu- a French bulldog. So obviously, I am the foremost expert on uh, training gun dogs. Um, <laughs> but I will say, I, I, I have to give Bunny a shout out because this season, if there was a season, um, Bunny actually retrieved her first partridge. It's taken her five years <laughs> for me to get her to that point. But she broke free on a drive and she retrieved a partridge for me. So um, just a bit of a shameless brag there for Bunny.
0: And Bunny's the, the bulldog?
2: Bunny's the French bulldog, yes. My chihuahua's been retrieving partridges for years. <laughs> um, I do have ratting terriers. The, uh, the main training that I give to them is um, basically... They need to be as wild, as ruthless and savage as, um, as I can basically get them to be. So my Patterdale actually climbs trees, um, after, after it's prey. So, um, basically I am the worst person to ask for advice about gun dogs. <laughs> what I would say is my good friend, Ben Randall, uh-huh. um, <laughs> is a very good, good dog trainer. Uh, one of the best in the country, um, and I hear he also does a buy one, get one free kind of special on wives and girlfriends too. So you can take your <laughs> wife and girlfriend with the dog. He has boarding on site and he can train them both.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, think, I don't think Igor is asking for dog training advice here. I think he's really asking for relationship advice. And I'm not sure that we're necessarily very well qualified to offer it. But I mean... I remember Ben saying when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that um that you know getting everybody using the same commands is is really important. Chris you're, how are you going to get on when you get your new puppy how's that going to go I was you?
1: listening to this dilemma thinking this is literally me in like 6 months time isn't it <laughs> <laughs> It's uh it's going to be I could totally understand where this guy's coming from. You know, he puts in all that hard work. He's super nervous. You can imagine like being invited on a really nice shoot day and like the dog doesn't listen to the commands that you spent really like loads and loads of time training it for because your other half ruined it, which is out in the walks or whatever. Oh my God. Like it's not, it's has got nothing to do with the dog. This does it. It's everything to do with their relationship. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um and I mean he did say I, I slightly edited his email and he did say, Don't worry, our relationship is fine. It's just this one small point that there's every every now and again a bit of tension. So I think, you know, with the best will in the world, if you want your dog to be as good as possible, you're gonna have to yeah. you're gonna have to put your foot down about the commands probably. Uh, or send her off to to Ben Randall for, for some, some high intensity training.
2: You might not get her back. Ben Ben is quite the ladies' man.
0: <laughs>
1: poor poor bloke hasn't got a chance to respond. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I uh, I must say I was struggling to concentrate when you called them Igor and Ivana, moving through the alphabet with your names. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it's one of the highlights of, of planning, the, of the small amount of planning that we do for these podcasts is I get to choose a, a stupid name for our correspondent so that we don't give, give away their identity. I, I do wonder, I hope if anybody has been identified by somebody that they know, get, let us know, because I'd love to know if we've been successful in keeping everybody uh, <laughs> secret. But um, yeah. I,
1: I think just to, to, to round this off, f- for me, he's got, to, uh, he's got to decide what he wants here. 'Cause this could well turn into something a lot more complicated than than he's asking for. I think he needs to accept. Is he gonna have a slightly rogue dog from time to time and a very stable relationship or a pretty prickly relationship and an on-point dog?
2: <laughs> Consistency is king. <laughs> and Ben Randall did actually teach me even look, you can whatever you um there's a lot that working dog training you can apply to what I call novelty dogs such as mine. Bunny and Baby the Chihuahua. And we actually have this in our household where I will use one command, son, Mark will use a different command. And um, we are constantly arguing about how it's really important to talk to the dogs using the same commands. So Ben Randall's advice is correct. Consistency is king. So the wife needs to go <laughs> because the dog's got more chance of being trained. <laughs>
1: <laughs> brutal. We we were, we were worried about having too many too many male guests on this. Uh and, and and obviously we've now had this is our second female guest in a row and we're getting some seriously sort of, you know, male orientated advice I feel here. This is not what
0: I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we get away with it, Chris. Indeed. Um <laughs> now We've got more correspondence. We
1: have. Uh, in the last episode, we asked you all if there were any bands out there who could help us with the new intro music because we sort of, well, I suggested, I'm not sure if George agrees, but I suggested that we've been using our intro theme for quite a while. Uh, and we've had a couple of send messages in, which is wonderful, a couple of bands who contacted us, awesome. Um, <laughs> one particular one that jumped out at me, not a band in any way, shape or form, but Will Pocklington. Uh, the editor of Shooting Conservation, the Bass Magazine, uh, he got in touch on the matter of the intro music, and he said, oh, "But we're pretty sure he's taking the piss here because he suggested that former podcast guest Tom Payne is a dab hand on the triangle. So, uh, <laughs> he...
0: <laughs> so what? Just a just a Tom Payne triangle solo to introduce the podcast? Yeah. Well, means. if
1: we get him in and we just sort of get him to do the triangle over the top <laughs> of the current podcast intro, we can sort of Tom Payneify <laughs> it, and it would just, you know. Just come out even worse than it already is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant, I love that. Um, so the other thing that we ask people to um, provide suggestions for is like the collective noun or like the group name for, for the people who've been contributing to the podcast over the last couple of series. And we've had a couple more suggestions. One that I quite like came from Charlie Brownlow, who I think is a good mate of yours, Chris, yeah. isn't he? And he suggested a slab, as in a slab of cartridges <laughs> or a slab of listeners. Which I think is quite nice, um, but then I've also had my own idea. Do you want to Go, hear it, please? So I was thinking, you know how we've been giving out these garters?
1: Yeah, which Ra- Ra- Rachel gets a pair after this. Oh yeah, super exciting. Yeah.
0: Um, so oh. I was thinking, what about the order of the garters? I love it. <laughs> the
1: worshipful.
0: Yeah, the most noble order of the Garters. So, so you you have to be ordained into the order of the Garters. Is that what we're saying? Well, I think you're knighted, aren't you? I think it's. Uh, Not- I think that. Yeah, I think you're knighted, and 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 that's how you become a member of the order of the Garter, the the real one. And so we're just stealing the name and adding an S, which I think is also in keeping with a lot of the way we do the naming around here. Yeah. Is to steal somebody else's name and adjust it slightly for our purpose. I love it. I love it. What do you I think? think.
1: I think. I think that is absolutely brilliant. And to be honest, I, well, I challenge anyone else uh, to beat that. But I have a feeling that you're going to hold that crown, George. Well, we'll see how it
0: goes.
2: Has anyone come on here glugging tequila yet? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's Not what I want to know. So, do I get a special pair of garters? Oh, Ooh.
1: I've got that. You know, <laughs> that's a lot of effort. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh we've had these specially commissioned these ones they are yeah. pretty exclusive uh i i think um, they're awesome uh but
1: just j- just quickly on 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 your if you've got the order of the garters can can we fit in slabs anywhere into that it's like the polar opposite you know like members of the order of the garters
0: are just called slabs <laughs> i mean we could have like grades you yeah. know so that for different levels of contribution so like a listener is like a, a listener that's the slab yeah is like the big bulk of them <laughs> so if you're just a listener you're a slab and then as you as your involvement goes up you you get different levels of uh so, so, of 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 garteriness of garteriness so, <laughs> <of
1: gartheriness. laughs> so what so what happens if what what happens, what happens if you've clicked like five stars on the app store uh, on the podcast store for uh, like your uh, for for rating us what what are we calling those people because they're definitely more than slabs you're a
2: slab star, a star.
1: <laughs> yes
2: slab star slab star <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, if you wanna be a slabster five stars on the old podcast store, please that would be awesome
0: and let us know that that's what you've done as well. Leave a review yeah. that'd be nice <laughs> so yes, if you want to become a member of the most noble order of the garters um <laughs> send us in a confession or a quandary or a dilemma for us to uh to read out and um we'll send you some garters and you can join the most exclusive club in shooting. Also, we, we still like to know where people have been listening from. If you're a band, get in touch. If you've got an idea that you think is better than The Order of the Garters, we'd love to hear it, uh, or a, a name for sort of one of the levels within The Order of the Garters. That'd be great as well. So, Chris, at the very beginning, we mentioned that we've, got, we've been doing some planning and you, we we trailed it and we said that we'd talk about it a bit later on. Uh, it sort of vaguely relates to both of the things we've just been talking about. So do you want to go into a bit more detail about what we've got in the pipeline? I do, indeed. And uh, and yes, so so Rachel,
1: you're involved in this one, okay? Uh, I, I need your support, uh, whatever we decide to do here. Uh, so what happened is that after, um, after Boris announced that uh, the world was going to open up again, we got seriously excited and we thought, right, how can we celebrate this? So we got together, George and I were just very, very quick conversation in passing certainly wasn't a meeting because we don't really do those uh but we we had a meeting today with some people that we will let you know about on the next one because we hope our deal is going to come off but we are going to have a massive party uh it's going to be the guns on pegs podcast party and it's going to happen at some point when the world opens up again uh so from this point all we need for you guys out there is to let us know first of all email us pod at guns on pegs.com First of all, would you like to be there? Secondly, what can you do? What can you bring to that party? What can you do to get involved in it? Are you, you know, I'm looking for jugglers, people on stilts, pe- people who own tequila <laughs> companies. George Clooney can come. Uh, <laughs> this sort of stuff. We want to hear from you. If you think you can be involved in this party and you can add a little something to it, You know, it's going to be a one massive collective experience of making it a real success. Uh, so please get in touch, pod at com. Rachel you coming? Of
2: course. One of my earliest memories of kind of um introduction into the uh kind of the industry um was actually the famous Guns on Pegs party. Many 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 moons ago and it's when you had the game fair and you took the stand of the party above. Yeah. And yeah, it was an insane evening. I was so definitely down for a guns on pegs party. Okay, so I
1: was I was clearing sick off the balcony of that game fair stand at two a.m. that day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's uh, it, just in case anybody thinks that working at guns on pegs is a glamorous job, that just underlines that you couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> or,
2: or or if you thought it before, now they've had me on <laughs> in my tequila, it's it's gone downhill.
1: So that that uh, that particular party was epic. That was a. Uh, we did a partnership with Chase uh, Vodka for that party at the Game Fair at Blenheim in 2009, 10, something like that. It was awesome. No, 11. I don't know when it was. 11, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, so in in that similar vein, we've got past reputation in holding parties. But this one is going to be the biggest and best yet because it's the podcast party and it involves all of you guys. So that's why it's
0: going to be so good. Yeah, I'm really excited about this, Chris. I think it could be a lot of fun. And um, yeah, you're going to have to keep listening to the, the last episode in this series. And then um, we're pretty sure that we're going to have another series coming out, you know, pretty shortly after the end of this one. Uh, and you have to keep listening to that as we're going we're gonna to drop details in to every episode as uh, as the, the series progresses. Okay. So keep listening, tell your friends, uh, all that stuff. Um, but uh, I think, Chris, it's probably about time that we uh, had a bit of a chat with Rachel, don't you think? We have. We've got to ask Rachel some hard hitting questions, I think. Before we do that, I just need to open my other beer. Hang on a second.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I will crack on. I'll take over, I'll take over from you and George in that very professional way. So, Rachel, obviously, like, for, for, well, there's tons of people in the shooting world that will know you. Uh, in, in many different ways, actually, from from the various things you've done. You've got a huge following on social media, been on TV, in the papers. Uh, but, you know, for for anyone that has been living under a rock, uh, can you give us a quick overview of how it is that you came to write uh, a game cookery book as well, given that you were once upon a time a vegetarian?
2: <sighs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm not a vegetarian anymore. I might add. Important. I, I've just lost thirty-five thousand followers on Instagram, when you said that. <laughs> How did I come to write a game cookbook? As you say, I have um, a pretty decent following on social media. God knows why, because I'm a bit of an asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you know, I've. Um, I suppose people um, are interested in what I do. I'd like to think I put decent information out there and have always tried to be encouraging and informative on social media i almost feel like a fraud actually writing a cookbook and i i, I feel whenever someone asks me this question i always feel the need to say i'm not a chef i'm not a chef <laughs> but the whole point in it was um have you seen the Disney film Ratatouille? Love it. Just 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 stick with me, stick with me. Um so <laughs> there's a point here. So, you know, Chef Gusto and his book and and the whole theme is anyone can cook. So I suppose my cookbook is the same thing. So if Rachel can cook game, anyone can cook. So I was doing as Chris pointed out earlier, all of this kind of news and media stuff just by the pure accident. And I did a massive following. And at the time we had um not problems with placing game, but the, there was a lot of kind of hype around, you know, we need to promote game more, we need to get more people consuming game. We need to promote game in a better light. Um and, and make game more relevant in today. So I suppose I decided instead of using that following to, I don't know, create content for brands, for example, mm. um, which many people use social media for. Hashtag instead not an influencer. of, <laughs> yeah, hashtag not an influencer. So, so instead of using my following to, you know, to, for my own kind of personal gain, and I, I thought it'd be a really nice thing to do something impactful and do something which helps um, the industry. At this point, I'd done the. Um, the documentary of Jodie Marsh so believe it or not I'd actually amassed quite quite a few people who were like Jodie was at the end of that program prepared to kind of be on the fence a little bit and I thought what great language to speak to vegetarians vegans or people who just weren't quite sure um, than through food so the cookbook idea came about I'd started getting a little bit more confident and posting my cooking online and um, was absolutely gobsmacked when People were commenting on my photos saying, Oh, what's the recipe for this? And I, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. I just kind of throw, <laughs> throw things, you know, I'm a, I'm a busy working mom. I get home, I just kind of whirlwind the kitchen and throw things together. Um, and so it was a few comments Oh, you should write a game cookbook. You should write a game cookbook. So I guess I decided I would. And as they say, the rest is history. That's awesome. And so is my game cookbook because it's sold out. So this is not a promotion. Please don't try and buy it. It's sold out. So <laughs> That's
1: really cool, though. It's a proper thing that came out of a need in a sense that you recognize, obviously, like some issues that, that shooting and game was facing. Uh, and then obviously, you know, did your little bit about it, which is which is cool. And I suppose that was what everyone needed to do, do their part. And you just you
0: channeled your bit in, in that way. On the social media side of things, Rachel, I wanted to ask, obviously we've heard recently there's been news about um, gamekeepers being on the receiving end of, uh, of online abuse and, and I suppose also some sort of in real life abuse as well. But um, with your following and your sort of profile, do you find that you get some unpleasant contact as well or unwanted contact from people on social media? And how do you sort of deal with it?
2: I, I used to get a hell of a lot more than I do now, and I've been trying to fathom why that could be. And I checked my Instagram block list recently and it's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of names long.
1: Really? Wow.
2: (laughs) Seriously. So I'm thinking, have I blocked the worst of them?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've completed it. (laughs) You've blocked more people than we've got followers. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, I, I have really strict boundaries where that's concerned. If someone is abusive, um, if someone comes in my space and is abusive or tries to bully me or is unkind, I delete and block them. That's the best thing to do. That's how I deal with it. Every now and again, again, more of a sense of duty every now and again. If if I do get a question or someone who disagrees with something I've said or something that I've done or something that I've put out there, but they approach me with respect um, and you know the the more questioning, you know, rather than making false statements, then I will now and again, if I have the time, you know, take the time to respond to people, be polite, be informative, educate them, and more often than not, you always find in those circumstances uh, it, it ends up in quite a pleasant exchange, respectful, and they do kind of come round to your way of thinking. So I do get a lot of abuse, but
1: do you feel it's getting? So you you mentioned obviously you block so many people. So it's not necessarily getting worse for you, but in effect, I suppose it might be if you hadn't had blocked them. But as a general rule, do you feel it is getting worse towards people that shoot on social media? Um,
2: I don't know that it's getting worse, or whether people are perhaps taking my lead a little bit, you know, and maybe tackling online abuse differently. I do get a, a a lot of messages, and some of them are quite heartbreaking because you know I've had messages from teenagers who are saying you know we're being bullied because we've chosen to share um or people saying you know how do I deal with these comments and I try and help people equip people with um you know the kind of knowledge on how to do that how to tackle it and i've got to say most of the time the answer is delete and block if they are abusive but social media is making obviously more people are sharing on social media so it's making um it's it's putting more hunting and shooting content out there so of course there's going to be repercussions of that of course it's going to be more visible to people the abuse will only come I think when you put the wrong type of content out there you've got to be really careful how you present shooting people have the attitude of oh you know I'm not doing anything wrong it's legal you know why why should I care but you've also got to understand that people are so not in tune with the countryside and nature outside of those people kind of living in the countryside so you just have to be mindful of that and and if you if you want to put that type of content out there publicly because everyone can make their instagram and facebook profiles private um, if you want to put that, that out there publicly, then you've kind of got to expect some abuse to a certain extent. You've got to expect people to not understand because it's just not who we are as a society anymore.
1: It's And it, this is such a talked about thing amongst, well, so many people within shooting. I mean, it's even been talked about on our podcast before we had um, daily the Daily Mail journalist guy adams in the last series on and and he made a strong case for shooting doing its very best to stay under the radar and out of the papers and basically out of the spotlight full stop um but it does divide opinion do you essentially disagree with that then because you are sort of trying to tackle it head on
2: i suppose i I suppose in a way i i was kind of forced to tackle it head on um many many years ago someone i I can't remember what year i'm not going to delve into history But it was, um, I think the papers, uh, still to this day, don't know who or how, um, just got hold of one of my images. And what people don't realize is a lot of times that I've been in the paper, I haven't chosen to be or actually given comments to the papers. I I try and kind of stay out of it. And then you get to a point where you think, well, they're going to print these things about you anyway. So do you kind of get those sound bites in there? I found that it is worthwhile getting the sound bites in there, the positive, um, the positive facts about shooting, you know, the, not even just the positive facts, but just the facts, you mm. know, the amount of people who see, a, you know, a shot deer and say, you've killed that deer for no reason, yeah. you know, and all the rest yeah. of it. And when you actually sit down and you give them three facts of why you've shot that deer, they, they oh, okay. You know, so you're between the devil and the dark blue sea of, okay, do you censor it completely or do you get the good information out there? I've got nothing to lose. Um, I think I've done a pretty good job up to press. I've, I've avoided the bad press. I'm savvy enough to know what type of there's certain TV shows that I've turned down and said, no, absolutely not, because you just know that they're going to portray you in a bad light. And then there's scenarios where I've made a good call, and we've converted god thousands of people mm. that Thou- literally thousands of people
0: so that was one of the one of the things i wanted to ask you and it's something that we asked charlie Jacoby when he came on as well because he's like you he's done quite a lot of tv appearances um and we've alluded to some of the stuff that you've done you did this morning a couple of times as well i think um do you feel like you managed to get your message across in particularly on this morning or is it basically just being shouted at by piers morgan for 10 minutes
2: well, it depends what interview it is, because I've I've appeared on This Morning twice. I went on This Morning, and it was just me on the sofa with Ben Shepherd and um, Jenny Faulkner. Mm-hmm. They were amazing, absolutely amazing to be interviewed by. Um, I sat down immediately. Don't get me wrong. You know, you, you have to, I suppose, through the years of doing this and media contacts, I have built up an awareness of, like I say, who to work with, what scenarios to go into. Mm. Um, and I sat down on that interview. The first thing Ben Shepherd, before the cameras were rolling, he he leant over, he said, oh, Rachel, I love what you do. I shoot with my dad. Probably shouldn't say this, get him in trouble. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it, that people hide yeah, it yeah. so much. And, he, you know, he said, I shoot with my dad. You know, I shoot with my friends and my dad at Christmas. We love it. It's amazing what you do. And so instantly you put at ease. Um, the second interview that I did, uh, I just go back to so the Jenny Faulkner and Ben Shepherd one, t- I think, in my opinion, turned out really yeah. well. It was actually, I'd say, the best interview that, that I've that I've done today. I, I just felt
0: apart from this one.
2: <laughs> of course. <laughs> but you've got to think I'm human. This is what people forget. When I do these interviews, I I I, I try not to, I have a rule, don't read the comments. Yeah. Don't read the comments. I have a really nice friend who bothers to read the comments and she filters out and she, she gets the nice ones and she'll say, Rach, it's had such a positive impact. Well oh, done. Lovely. Um, but if I go on that and you honestly, some of the comments that, and if I didn't have thick skin and I wasn't, you know, strong Yorkshire lass, you know, I, if it was someone else on the receiving end of some of them comments, I, I wouldn't like to think, uh, you know what that would do to them. Um, But in my opinion, that was one of the most positive interviews that I've done. And I actually cried when I came off stage after. I was so proud of myself. I thought that couldn't have gone any better. The feedback afterwards proved it. Then I agreed to do the um, completely different interview on this morning again, but with Joey Carbstrong, the vegan, the very, very militant, nasty kind of vegan. And yes, he spent the entire interview shouting at me um and being rude and you've got to know how to work things and you've got to have experience and my experience and my gut instinct told me this is the time when you let someone show the world what they are like this is the time when he can do my job for me if i just kind of sit back and and again it worked because the headlines the next day were you know militant vegans vegans don't listen you know the one track minded and all the rest of it. So
1: well done. I mean, that, yeah, sodding tricky in that sort of scenario.
0: So hard to sit there and take it um, when somebody's spouting nonsense and in an unpleasant way. I mean, I know my instinct would be to tell him where to go, probably. Yeah. Um, so a lot of respect for the just holding back and, and not going for the throat, so to speak.
2: People don't realize how much pressure, as well, because you know you've got a very short window. So, in that very short window, I have to try. It's kind of like you've got to be blinkered to what they're saying and almost not answer what they're saying. You've just got to say, right, millions of people are watching this. I've got a short window to get some sound bites about shooting and hunting out there, some good ones. So, yeah. that's what I try and do. You know, I, I use the opportunities I've, I'm given that other people aren't. So, to, to do what I can. That's
0: really interesting. um I'd like to change tack a little bit. Um... If that's all right. Um, You are one of the more prominent, for want of a better phrase, lady shots out there. (laughs) Um, And we know from our game shooting census that uh, about 50% of guns have got at least one female family member who's involved in shooting. But our own database, our own membership base is about 97% male. So what advice would you give to any blokes out there who want to encourage like a sister or a daughter, a girlfriend, a wife or whatever uh, to get into shooting. Have, have you got any sort of tips for, for us Neanderthal
2: blokes? I'm laughing because when anyone ever asks me this question, the first thing that comes to my mind is a memory of my dad years ago when I was about 10 years old, handing me a 12-bar shotgun, like saying, right, this is how you hold it, da da, da. Obviously, he let me have a dry fire first, you know, and he put this great big kind of 205 litre barrel on one of our scrap yards in front of me. And he put this, and when I say 10 years old, I mean, I, I do a little bit of weight training now. Um, but at the time I, I was, I, I did ballet dancing like six, seven days a week. My mum was obsessed with me and my sister being ballerinas. So I was like a streak of piss, <laughs> um, for want of a better word. So dad hands me this great big 12 gauge and, and he points this barrel. and um, He's like, you know, you you point it there and you pull the trigger. And so this little skinny blonde, I I basically resembled an albino ferret when I was little. And I I just go flying back. Um, And, you know, that was my dad's, that was my dad introducing me to shooting guns. And... I've got to
1: add in on that. I, 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 can, I can basically <laughs> concur. Uh, my my first uh, time shooting, uh, firing, uh, putting the trigger on a shotgun was exactly the same. It was after a syndicate day with my dad. <laughs> and uh, and I was about, I mean, I must've been like eight, nine or something silly. And and he gave me his 12-bore with just whatever cartridge he had in his pocket after a syndicate day, which must've been what, like a 28-gram six back in like 1995. And, uh, and so- he gives me this and goes, see that oak tree, son? Put, see if you can hit that. And obviously, you hold the gun. You, you hold the gun in like, what you think is in your shoulder. You've got no idea. You're eight or nine, right? And then you pull the trigger and it obviously goes out and then comes back in and gives you the biggest dead arm you've ever had in your life. Did you hit the oak tree, though? No way. Like, I was nowhere near it. <laughs> And I never forget like the dead arm alone. It was like four years until I even picked up a gun after that.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. well, mine was a little, you, you like most guys, you're like, yeah, that was awesome. And you want to go again. So I, I don't know if that's what put me off. Um, I mean, I always from an early age went out hunting and, or as I called it then adventuring with my dad. So we flew a Harris Hawk and had ferrets and had terriers. And, you know, we used to just, run like savage on the yards, but shotgun shooting. And I remember dad was, um, dad was one of these people. Not many people realize that my dad actually started shooting um, in his, when he was 40. So quite late in life, people don't realize that. Um, I mean, God. He's certainly made up for everything he missed in those 40 I was years. Say,
0: Perhaps we should I'm sure that everybody knows, but we should just clarify that Rachel's dad is Dave Carey, who's got a very successful YouTube channel and a highly respected game shot. We should probably just in case anybody listening doesn't know.
1: And and clearly he yeah, clearly I he learned how to shoot pretty quickly then, as you can see on those videos. He did.
2: He I think dad was in the England team within six months of shooting. Really? Very good natural shot, and I don 't know if again listeners or yourselves know, but my dad actually has one eye.
0: I did not know that
2: he does, and he had his eye shot out when he was a teenager with an air rifle, an air rifle accident yeah wow, wow. not on yeah and and obviously you know um so yeah, he in his late forties and so he made the England and Great Britain teams very quickly and tr- basically traveled the world clay pigeon shooting, and my sister and I used to go along with them. Um, to you know texas at the world championships and miami and you know all over the world and there were some really good female shooters at the time and dad kept trying to encourage me and say you know you, you could shoot clays look at joe marsh and kate brown really great shots and um, just the wrong time teenager finally got out of the shackles of the ballet shoes discovered boys and you know Going down the local park and getting drunk with your friends and all of that. So. Oh, tequila! And yeah, shoot, yeah, tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and shoot, and shooting just didn't come into it. So, uh, I, sorry, we completely diversified there. So, <laughs> my introduction to shooting, basically, don't do that to your wives and girlfriends. And a lot of men <laughs> do do that and put them off. So,
1: what? Playground? Just take it slowly, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I'd say don't go with your husband your father. I'd say, book yourself. I didn't actually go shooting for the first time with my dad. I didn't even tell my dad I was going shooting. I snuck off, took myself on a clay shooting introduction day. I think it was at Doveridge. Snuck off, had the day off work. And I worked with my dad as well and never never said a word because I thought if I'm rubbish, he'll be really disappointed. And if I don't like it, he'll be really disappointed. And um, I took myself on a ladies' day. No one there, no pressure, just, you know, some lovely ladies, no pressure to kind of do anything. Um, A really nice female instructor as well. And I'm not saying it has to be a female instructor, and it certainly doesn't have to be a ladies' day. But there are grounds up and down the UK. Just, you know, call one, book a lesson. You don't need equipment. Take yourself there. You'll have all of the correct advice, you know, they'll even give you a recoil pad for your first time so you feel you know secure and you'll realize that gun recoil is really not that bad unless you're 10 years old with a 12 gauge and probably knowing my dad a 50 gram fall. <laughs> <or something. laughs> i should
1: i should i should have listened to this podcast in the past if it was available on on, on the same thing with skiing because i used to be a ski instructor but then trying to teach your other half skiing is a bad
0: idea uh just yes so well, it's like they say you shouldn't try and teach your own kids to drive either.
2: Yes, and it's the truth. And it's, it's the is piece of advice I give all ladies. And everyone says, you know, obviously, Mark Windsor. Oh, you know, you must be an excellent clay shooter because Mark's your partner. You obviously get loads of coaching. I'm like, Mark would not dare try to coach me. <laughs> I don't think anyone would. So my best advice is just, you know, you, you don't need to hang on to the coattails of a man just Go go out there and do it yourself. It's so it's so much more easy to access and get into than people think.
1: But but you're obviously a pretty handy shot here uh, because I mean I remember the side by side championships back in about 2012 when I couldn't even put up a fight against you. So I know that you I know that you know which way round <laughs> to hold a gun.
2: <laughs> ah, thank you. Do you know as well, Chris? Just to rub salt in the wound, and I do have salt on my tequila glass. That Was the first time I'd ever shot a side by side that day, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there's, Rachel. That gives me great pleasure.
2: <laughs> do you know as well? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because, do you know as well? That's why I started Fempertals.
1: Oh no, because of that, really. Shit.
2: So, I, yeah, so I, I shot the shoot for you, Joy. I shot the shoot, so it's the um, the British side by side championships. So, obviously, you shoot it with side by side, but you have some of the the top clay boys as well, sneaking in there to shoot it. I think John Lee won it that yeah, year. Yeah, I went
1: round with And you have
2: the gamekeepers and... Yeah. He... Yeah. And um, I actually scored... My, I think I scored... Let me get this right in case there's a record out there. I think I shot 86 out of 100. I was
1: going to say 87. So um, we'll take your 86.
2: Uh, and, and 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 I was... I think I came like seventh overall. And I remember sitting there at prize giving. They didn't have a ladies prize they only had like, oh, highest gamekeeper, highest this, highest the other. And I found myself in a position thinking, right, okay, so I've beat, there was 150 odd entries, so I've beat, you know, like a good few men here anyway, so you shouldn't be too worried about having to have a ladies category because you can clearly beat men as well. But then I was thinking, I just kind of won a prize, you know, <laughs> I've not been shooting very long, I just, you know, I want some encouragement. And I and I thought to myself, I wonder how many ladies have come and done the same as this and not had that encouragement or incentive. So I started Femphatals to give them a competition where they could come and win all of these amazing prizes. And
1: you've gone on since that I mean since that famous day which clearly made you an epic shot, you know, it was it was it was the the comp- the competition from the Guns on Pegs boys that spurred you on to everything that you've gone on to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you you competed in the Commonwealth Games, didn't you? Up in Scotland which included a rather unfortunate occurrence with a in a hotel in Dundee, didn't it? I
2: actually didn't so there's a story behind this. I actually didn't compete in the Commonwealth Games. So I'm half Scottish. Um, in in true Rachel honesty style, I'm going to tell you my thinking behind this. So um, at the time, obviously, I was with Mark, Windsor, you know, competing. And uh, I figured it just it didn't work. us trying to compete and shoot the same discipline. So I decided I was going to make a move to trap. So I moved over to trap, and at the time, double trap still existed. And I shot a bit of it, and someone approached me and said, "Oh, you know, you're not shooting this bad." And it was actually Ian McGregor, the Scottish coach at the time, the Scottish Olympic um, trap and, Olymp- and double trap coach. And uh, and he was like, "Oh, Rachel, a little birdie tells me, you know, you're you're half Scottish." <laughs> I was like, yeah, where are you going with this? I am proudly. My dad was born in Scotland. And um, he said, you know, we don't have any female, you know, decent female trap shooters in Scotland. Their best, Shona Marshall, who's very, very, very good shot, um, was just retiring at the time. Then Sharon Niven, who's a very good shot. But you kind of needed two or three to make up the team's. Mm. And he said, you really should consider, you know, having a crack for the team for the Commonwealth. Long story short, both Sharon and I didn't make. And it's really quite sad because it was held, it was in Glasgow. The games were obviously in Glasgow. So you'd think of all of the countries to field a team, it would be Scotland. Unfortunately, we were like 0.5 of a point for the minimum, for for the qualifying score to make a team. So they put us both in, but they put us in as fillers. So we shot alongside, we shot in the competition. We both came, we we stopped basically competing and training as well at that point because double track was being taken out. So when we learned that we hadn't made the Commonwealth Games team or, or they weren't, sorry, they weren't putting the Scottish team mm. in, we both just stopped training. The dream kind of ended there. You know, it was our last last attempt, first and last attempt to make it. And they were removing double trap. So about a month before the Games, having not shot double trap for God knows how long, um, and I moved over to Olympic trap then, we, we both received calls and said, you know, they basically need fillers. So an athlete filler is when they don't field enough teams. So there are spaces in the line. So they basically have to fill those spaces. Um, And you and Sharon are obviously the most proficient shots to fill them. So, so they, they basically put us in as athlete fillers. And it was a shame really, because we, I think we beat the Canadians. (laughs) We beat, we beat quite a few of the countries as fillers, having not trained for, you know, eight, nine months, we we literally switched disciplines. So it was a shame that they didn't just put us in as, um, as official athletes, but we still had the same experience and, um, then yes, the unfortunate Malmaison, <laughs> yes, hotel hotel experience happened.
1: So, yeah, to a quick quickly on that. So you turned up with a gun, and they obviously didn't like it. And yet the Commonwealths were being held in their town, and just didn't make sense.
2: Yeah, it might have had something to do with the fact that I tried to tell them it was a trombone after I realised they weren't <laughs> happy. <laughs> 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 uh, it was very silly, very annoying. I do kind of regret tweeting. Um, We all do that nowadays, don't we? Like you can reach companies much faster. You don't have to go on hold. If you give them a quick angry tweet, (laughs) me not realizing, you know, I had a few thousand followers and it might have a bit more impact than someone else's tweet. So I tweeted there like, you know, I've missed the opening ceremony and this and that and the other. And, you know, it's Mount Maison's fault. And yeah, Daily Mail journalist must have been on my account, picked that up. And yeah, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> it just cause trouble wherever I go. Wherever I go, I cause trouble. That's you know.
0: Right, we're going to need to wrap this up pretty soon because my twins are going to be home, and then we definitely won't be able to record. But um, I wanted to ask you, Rachel. You famously only serve your family meat that you've hunted yourself. So I wanted to ask, uh, what are you having for supper tonight?
2: <laughs> I am having pasta with no meat in it tonight vegan seriously <laughs> vegetarian yeah, that's
0: one night a week. so
2: yeah but obviously with lockdown being in play it's been difficult to get out anyway um and we've been shooting a few pigeons we're a little bit sick of eating pigeon now so i've recently started order- ordering these um this meal kit online mm. where it all comes and it's all there so i've actually got in touch with um the company and they have venison on the menus so i've got in touch with them and i'm trying to link them up with a game company mm-hmm. so hopefully in the future cool. th- yeah yeah hopefully they can kind of put more game on their menus
0: i think um, that could be a really powerful thing i did a thing with the bga a restaurant kit during the first lockdown i think and it was such a lot of fun to do but i think that could be a really powerful way to to, to get game out to a, a wider audience as well I think that's a really cool thing to do
2: I think that's what we miss in shooting a little bit the the ideas and the ability you know to do that that's one one that's one place that always surprises me that the industry don't don't kind of lean on me for um they 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 must have picked up that I'm quite good and quite innovative and quite good at picking up trends and uh, you know obviously people are interested and you know I've got the profile and I'm surprised that they don't you know, lend on that experience a little bit more and ask me for my advice and ideas and how they think we could push game a little bit better into different avenues. Let, let
1: us know how you get on with that. I'd be keen to hear. One of the best things about having really interesting guests on our podcast is getting tips, Rachel. Uh, and certainly <laughs> uh, recently I can just remember Gerwin giving tips about shoots and and Sarah Farnsworth uh, had, you know, went to been to some amazing places. I want to know just quickly before we get on to desert island shooting, and I'm sure this is going to link. What are your favourite shoots? Talk to me about game shoots.
2: My favourite game shoots. Well, I'm a northern girl, aren't I? We get a nosebleed if we go too far south. <laughs> um, we are really lucky up here. You, you, we can't deny we're really lucky. We have the the wolds on our doorstep. We have you know the waterpieres, the Duncan Parks, the Revo's. We just we have Helmsley in this hub of absolutely amazing shoots all around it um Whitfield's one of my favorites um Water Priory obviously one of my favorites as well that's where I kind of cut my teeth game shooting it's
0: a hell of a place to learn yeah
2: yeah yeah, you've certainly got um yeah in you, you gain enough experience there that's for sure god I have loads of favorite shoots but I must say I do like the kind of I like the wild days, you know, the the estates that just are, a little, you know, they have interesting terrain and they have they have a little bit of something going on there with with regards to the terrain. So that would be Whitfield for me. I think. Can... And Duncan Park has nice terrain Duncan
1: too. Duncan Park's very pretty, but Whit- Whitfield, I totally agree. Actually, back in the early days of Guns on Pegs, we used to sell quite a lot of shooting for Whitfield through, through the website, just people finding it. And Stuart used to invite us up on the on the Beaters Day. And we do all the extreme drives and he would just put me right in the middle. Just st- stand there, Chris, that's fine. And I'd, I used to take my stupid little side by side with my 30 gram fives or whatever. And this was, this was years ago. <laughs> and my God, talk about demoralizing really quickly. Uh, that's a place where you go tooled up properly, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it is. And you know what? Um, I... I've shot Whitfield a few times and I can honestly say, and I've got a Whitfield Extreme Cap, humble brag there. I think I'm the only woman in the world to have one. Um, but I honestly, even, even that day aside when I got the extreme cap, I just felt so humbled by those birds. And it's it's uh we're not gonna go into the high bird debate. I suggest you have dad on to do that. That's that's his expertise. Um, but it's such a humbling experience to to see and to really appreciate what pheasants can do flight wise but how people can present them to do that and I've been game shooting 12 years now which might not sound a lot to a lot of people but when I say I've been game shooting for 12 years Dave's my dad you know it's all we do we don't you know have a few days that is what you know we love to do so I've spent quite a bit of time in the field. And I can honestly say last, I think it was two seasons ago, we went up there and we did half walked up, half driven, which was amazing. And we did the wow. extreme drives. And it's the first time that I've ever actually felt worthy of Whitfield. And, and I had a drive and I honestly, it's one of the best memories um, of, of all of my shooting. And it'll forever kind of imprint Whitfield on my heart of of my favourite shooting states because I just seem to do the birds justice. Awesome, and it was captured on film.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> ah that always helps. <laughs> it's
2: not a fisherman's story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I died tomorrow and could just say that I did Whitfield birds justice just for one day, I'd be happy. So,
0: so I think I know the answer then to your desert island shooting, your your fi- your kind of imaginary last day ever. It sounds like it's going to be Whitfield. Is that right?
2: I think so. I think it'd have to be. Who would
0: you have with you? Yeah, special
2: Um, place. Yeah, who who are you taking? Definitely my son, who's really getting into shooting and is an absolute demon on Driven. Um, My dad, obviously. Wish I could have Des back. Um, My my loader, my late loader who passed away a couple of years ago. Mum, because she's an absolutely amazing loader. She steals cartridges from the neighbouring gun if you, God forbid, should ever run out. (laughs) She actually runs to the next peg. She doesn't care who it is. Steals their cartridge bag and runs back to you and continues loading. So definitely mum. And just family, really. And, and, you know, good friends. It's what shooting's all about. Days in the field with good people. What a
1: lovely way to end it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love it. It's just nostalgic, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, that's exactly what this podcast's all about, really. So it's absolutely perfect. Rachel, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It's been a really, really enjoyable Indeed. chat. Indeed. Thank you so much, Rachel. Really fun.
2: You are most welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Before we go, as per usual, there's one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs Shooting Sock Garters and become a member of the Order of the Garters <laughs> uh, by sending us your Shooting Dilemmas to Resolve emailing us to let us know where you've been listening letting us know if you're a band who wants to get involved with our party or in any other way actually if you're like a juggler or whatever um and uh, like the last episode that i'm sure i've forgotten there's so many ways you can get these garters now i can't remember them all but um you've listened to the episodes you know what the score is send us an email pod at guns on and if we make use of what you send us you're going to get some of these garters until the next episode thanks very much for listening and goodbye
2: Fuck, we didn't run out of shit to say.